Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. It's so easy for us to fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at the statements that Jesus said about his mission for coming to earth. Our lives are different because of Jesus. Uh, we're in a series that we kicked off just a couple of weeks ago, as you can tell, called Because of Jesus. And it's looking at some of the things that Jesus said he came to do. You know, if we were just to walk up to people and ask them on the street, I think people would get some of the answers right. Most of us think he, he came to, to do one or two things, like Brandon read just a minute ago with communion, that he, he came to save the world. But it turns out that Jesus made a lot of statements. There were many times he said, I came for this reason. This is why I was sent. This is what I'm here to do. And there were many different things, not just one. And it's not because he was confused, but it's because he intended to make a lot of change. When he came to the world, it wasn't just for one little thing, but it was a lot of things. And so we're taking this series to look at what should be different in our world and what should be different in our lives because of Jesus. Uh, If you've missed any part of it, it is online or on the app. You can go catch it, especially if you missed last week because of the hurricane. We were here and we went on. Um, And, uh, you know, this is just kind of how this works. One of the messages I was most excited about for the whole series ended up falling during a hurricane. (laughs) Isn't that just crazy? So look, if you missed that one, I want to encourage you to go back and hear that one. It, It might be Uh, one of the best ones. I I hope I can live up to the next one. You know, it's kind of the pressure of preaching. You ever go see a movie, uh, a sequel, and everybody, what do you always say about the second movie? Not as good as the first. So imagine what I feel like when I do an eight-part series. Like, I've got like no hope for going downhill for the last seven weeks. So hopefully they're all good and they're all worthy. But uh, last week was a special topic that I think applies for all of us where we are today. So just gonna throw that out there and encourage you to go back and check that out. So, hey, you know what's happening in just about a week. We're about one week from the eighth anniversary of when I became the lead pastor of Grace Life Church, about eight years ago. And um, (laughs) I didn't say that for you to clap unless you're like, you made it eight years, Jimmy, come on, we gotta cheer for that. We, We were like, we had four at most, buddy. That's what we thought. So if you're clapping for that reason, I'm not sure I'm encouraged, but anyway, hey. Um, no, I told you that so I could say this. I, I will never forget what one of my friends actually said to me when I was becoming the lead pastor at Grace Life. Uh, I'm not going to use his name, but uh, he walked up to me out in the lobby as soon as uh, that service was over, and he said, so, hey, Jimmy, look, I just, I just want to be up front with you and be honest with you. Uh, my wife and I will be looking for a new church. And he said, um, I'll never forget the words. He said, you know, the preaching with Jerry was bad enough, but with you. <laughs> and there, here's the thing. He had started listening to probably the most famous preacher in the United States at that time. And, and I was the one that introduced him to that guy. I was the one that said, hey, if you really want to listen to something good, you should listen to this guy. And so he starts listening to that guy and, and decides that's the standard And I was pretty far removed from the standard. And so as he was true to form, he and his wife have been in a new church for the last eight years. So anyway, listen, have you ever had anybody come to you and say something like that? Anybody? Like you're just sitting there with just your mouth open like, oh, wow. And you know, one of the reasons it is so frustrating is because they're not completely wrong. I mean, I listened to stuff I was preaching eight years ago and I think, why are any of you still here? Like Teresa and the stones, like, I can't believe you came back. 
I start, to, I don't even make it through it. If I've got to go back and do some research over something that I preach, I was like, stop, enough of that. I don't want to hear any more. So look, there was some truth in what, what he said. I mean, pastors don't want to hear what they preached six months ago, much less eight years ago. But it's not that what they said was completely wrong. It's the way they said it, right? I mean, come on. He could have just said, this isn't working for me. But he said, it was bad enough before. But with you? Or maybe it's the attitude behind it, right? Look, I think all of us understand this this dilemma when somebody comes to us, they say something we don't really want to hear. There's enough truth in it that's justified. It's why they say it in the first place. But it's the biggest dilemma that, that we have is how do we speak truth and still make the person feel loved while we're doing it? How do we speak truth and have the person actually want to listen to us by the time we're finished with that sentence? It turns out this was also one of the things that Jesus came to deal with. Jesus came to help us understand how to, to give grace while also speaking truth. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 1. This is where our main passage is for the day, but if not, it's going to be on the screen right here beside me. And just just three verses, starting at verse 14, says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of of grace and truth. Now that's going to be our phrase for this morning. Just hold on to those words right there. Those four words, full of grace and truth. And for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. And I think you could just keep going grace upon grace upon grace. I want you to think about like a mountain. If you've ever tried to like dig through a mountain, all you get is more rock and more dirt and more rock and more dirt. I just imagine grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Just It just keeps piling up. And that's how good God is, that you you can't get to the bottom of it. If you start peeling back the layers of grace God has for you, you'll peel back a layer and you'll go, more of God's grace. And you'll peel back a layer and go, more of God's grace. It just doesn't stop. Come on, somebody should say amen for that one. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Because of Jesus, we live in grace and truth. But what does that really mean? I mean, seriously, isn't that a little intangible, hard to kind of get your, your fingers around this morning, kind of hard to say, okay, what's the practical application? We live in grace and truth. Good. What does that actually mean? I think we can help ourselves if we go back to what we just read. There, there's something deeper in the scripture here that'll help us understand this. So let's back up. It said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. This is talking about the incarnation. This is when God became flesh. God became a human. He dwelt in human flesh. And so we use the word incarnation. But if you guys know, when do we ever talk about the incarnation? Christmas. It's basically the only time we talk about God coming in the flesh. And so when we talk about the incarnation of God, all we really get out of it is Christmas presents and Jesus in a a manger. and, And that's all that comes to our mind. And so we're so limited. We miss out on so much of what it means that God came in the flesh. I want to show you this part where it says he's talking about Jesus came in grace and truth. I'm not going to bore you with Hebrew and Greek today, but all of the scholars who understand those languages say that Jesus was actually going back to something that the father had said originally. It was the first statement he ever made about himself. And for you and me, it's way back in the beginning of our Bibles. It's in the book of Exodus. But it's when he said, this is who I am. 
I mean, think about, we've talked about this. God exists, God makes creation, God makes man, and now God has a problem. Man doesn't know anything about him. And God has to begin to reveal himself. And so at this point, God said, look, let me tell you who I am. And he's talking to Moses, and this is what he says. I am the Lord, the Lord. And, and if you've ever looked in your Bible, sorry, it's not up there exactly the way it is in the Bible, because in, in your Bible, that'll have Lord in four capital letters. You ever read your Bible and you've wondered what Lord in all capital letters means? And you think we're just being like Christianese, like Lord is special. Let's put it in all capital letters because it's special. No, it doesn't. That's not what it means. What it means anytime when you're reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it stands for his name, Yahweh. So what he's actually doing is using his name, his revelation. He's saying, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. And then catch this part, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness steadfast love and faithfulness and all of the scholars who understand the languages say that what jesus was doing he wasn't introducing a new idea he didn't come and say hey i'm jesus I want you to know i come in grace and truth totally new idea no what he was actually doing was the incarnation of god he was saying i am the fulfillment of what my father said long ago because the idea of steadfast love is grace we just did a message on this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go back and redo all of that. But we talked, we said grace is why. Grace is why God saves us, right? Because it's his love. It is the love of God that makes him send his son to die for us. You can never give him a reason to die for you. It wasn't possible. Why did he send his son to die for you? The Bible tells us because of his love. His steadfast love is manifested through grace. And when we go back to the language and say, what does faithfulness mean? Because to you and me in English, faithful means I show up for work day after day after day. I'm faithful. I just keep coming back. You're faithful. You listen to me preach for eight years. Faith. No. What faithful means in the Bible is true. If you're faithful, it means that you are what you say you are. You will do what you say you will do. You are true to your promises. You are truth. So God says, look, I am Yahweh, a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in grace and truth. And Jesus shows up and says, I have come to you in the nature of my Father. And we miss the whole point that this is simply who God is. We think that these are just two buzzwords, grace and truth, and you just kind of throw them around when you want to, and they're just, they sound religious and biblical, and they just sound cool, grace and truth. Sounds good, doesn't it? Good, good catchphrase there, Jesus. But there's so much more to that. And that is why, if you've ever read this passage, you wonder, why does it end the way it ends? Let's go back and finish it. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and then he changed, it seems like he changes subjects when he says no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. That's why he switches to saying, because I came in grace and truth, you now know who your God is. Otherwise, you're like, why, where, why does verse 18 belong with this? We're just talking about Jesus. We're talking about grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth, grace upon grace upon grace. And then he goes and says, now look, nobody's seen God except I just made him known to you. Now that actually makes sense, doesn't it? Here's the whole point. 
is because of Jesus we live in grace and truth because that's who our God is. That's who he is. And if we're his children, then that's who we are. And that's how we do what we do. Let's finish that sentence. Sorry, y'all put that up there for me because it's not in my notes. Back to verse 4. No, no, 14, 14. There you go. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And this full of grace and truth, it's this whole, what, how does it work that Jesus is fully God, fully man? If you've ever heard the introduction of a movie with a superhero, half spider, half man, or whatever, and I'm always like, so if you cut off his arm, which half do you get? Kind of, it's kind of strange there, you know? Jesus is not half something and half another. Jesus is fully God, fully man. You, you cannot separate the two. And so when he says he's full of grace and full of truth, he's full of grace and truth. It's all that you get every time that you get any of it. I want you to think about it like this. Think about it like a cookie jar. And in this cookie jar, you've got chocolate chip cookies and you've got oatmeal cookies. The first question I want to ask is, why did anybody ever think you could use oatmeal for anything good? I mean, seriously. I mean, the, the, the whole point is an oatmeal cookie, but you've got to drown it with so much sugar, and then little Debbie really figured it out. Cover it in sugar and put cream in the middle. You, if you put enough cream in there, somebody might actually be willing to eat oatmeal. Okay, so anyway, if I tell you in this cookie jar is chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal cookies, you expect when you reach in and pull back out, half of the time you're getting chocolate chip cookie. Half of the time you're getting oatmeal. And so many of the times we think when we go to God, half of the time we might get grace. We hope it's one of those days. Oh God, I kind of messed up yesterday. I hope I get grace, right? And then half of the time we think we're going to go to him and get truth, which is why we don't go to him when we messed up yesterday because truth means a lightning bolt to the head. We're like, no, I'm glad somebody found that funny. Full of grace and truth. What that means is that you can't separate them. It means that Jesus is never going to come to you with truth unless he's doing it in grace. And he's never going to bring grace unless truth is accompanied with it. Our problem is that we separate the two. I'll be honest with you, humanity's problem is we don't know how to do both at once. And if you've ever met someone who does, we seriously think they are special in a good way. You think back to that one teacher. Let me think back right now. I bet one person, the most positive and most influential person in your upbringing, it might have been a coach, might have been a teacher, it might have been one of your friends, moms or dads or whatever. And if you could think right now and go, wait a minute, why was this person so special? You would say, did they, did they lie to me? Did they just let me get away with anything? No, I remember they challenged me at times but somehow I always knew they were on my side. Think back. You found somebody in your life, and they did grace and truth pretty well. Our problem is, well, naturally, as humans, we don't do grace and truth together really well. Let me help us understand the way that we separate these. See, truth without grace brings knowledge of right and wrong. And when you have knowledge of right and wrong, then you usually have condemnation. If you flip it, though, and you have grace without truth, then you overlook right and wrong. And if you overlook right and wrong, then it usually leads to deception. And this is why truth sets us free from deception, but grace sets us free from condemnation. When you have truth without grace, 
you have permission to be a jerk or self-righteous. Well, brother, that truth shall set you free. Don't blame me for telling you what you need to hear, right? Come on, anybody ever talk to you like that? But if you have grace without truth, it gives us permission not to answer for our actions. Truth calls us to stand for something. Grace calls us to love someone. And that is the dilemma we have in our world today as Christians. How do we stand for something and at the same time make the other person feel loved? You know, there's this, this idea that we're supposed to be tolerant. I'm, I might jump into the deep end of the pool and get in trouble here, but can I just be honest? We're all intolerant. Raise your hand if you're human. You're intolerant. You see, any time that we take a stand for something, we're intolerant towards the opposite. The only problem right now is that we can't get everyone to be honest about that. If you're a Christian, you are intolerant. If you're a Christian, there is truth. God defined it. There are things that are right and they're wrong. And if you stand for those, someone who stands for the opposite will call you intolerant. But they're also intolerant because they don't allow you to stand for something that you believe in. So if we could just figure out, in order to stand for truth, you will not make every person happy. We are all intolerant. Every human being is intolerant towards something. There is always something that we would say that is unacceptable and anyone who does it should be strung up and crucified. I'll give you the most extreme example. If we heard today there was a political leader who was mandating mass murder of innocent women and children, how many of us would want that person taken out of power? Are we intolerant? No, we just believe that's wrong. The point is every human being believes something is right and something is wrong. And the whole idea that we have got to be tolerant, telling us that we therefore can't stand for something, well, that becomes a problem. Now, let me tell you before anybody gets upset with what I just said, do you know why we're called intolerant? It's because we usually stand for truth without grace. I'm just going to be honest, guys. We are known for telling people what we believe, but doing it in such a way there's no love left. And that is the problem. Jesus stood for stuff. And yet, this world today, 2,000 years later, still thinks he's amazing. Even people that don't believe everything he said and don't call him Lord and Savior, you can go find people who don't go to church will still say Jesus was a good guy. Why? Because when he stood for truth, he brought love and grace to the exact same person. Living in grace and truth means that we do have to take a stand for something. But it also means that when we take a stand for something, the person who stands for the opposite still knows we love them. And that is the hardest thing for us to do. Matter of fact, separating grace and truth is why our world is so polarized today. Because we all believe in something. You won't find a human who doesn't believe in something. And it's the ability to go to that person and say, look, you stand for that and I stand for this. But we love each other. Or we should. And we must. Because that's the only way we're going to change our world is when we live in grace and truth, not just truth. We must live in grace and truth, not one or the other. It's not a choice. We've made it a choice. But we must live in grace and truth, not one or the other. What that means is that we must embrace, embrace both personally. That means we must look in the mirror and, and ask questions about how we are responding to truth and ask questions about how we are receiving grace. It means that we must give both personally. And you would say, can it be done? Can you give both equally to other people? And the answer is yes. 
right? Yes, it depends not only on what you say, what you say is truth. How you say it, right? That makes all the difference, doesn't it? How you say it is the beginning of grace, but I'm gonna go one step further. It's not just what you say, it's not just how you say it, it is how you treat them. Think about what Jesus did. The Bible tells us that while we were the enemies of God, he died for us. It wasn't just what he said. It wasn't just how nicely he said it. It was that he died for those who stood for the opposite. Wow. Is that what it means to come in grace and truth? Absolutely. And then we're supposed to do that same thing to the world, communicate grace and truth. There's no permission for us to just speak in a way where we have no regard for the other person. There's also no permission for us to ignore that there is a right and a wrong, and the best thing that person needs is truth. So I think the best way that we can handle what do we do with this idea of living in grace and truth is I'm just going to give you a little self-analysis test. You guys ready for that? You didn't know when you came to church this morning, you were actually going to have to do a little self-analysis. Just a couple of questions, actually three of them. The first one is this, how do I respond when confronted with the truth that conflicts with my lifestyle? What do you do? What do you do when you are reading the Bible and you come across something that you're not doing it that way? What do you do when you are so angry at someone that you, you just want to see somebody slap them? You know what I'm saying? You, just, you might want worse, but I'm just not going to say that right now. You just want to see, see somebody slap this person and you're reading your Bible and it says, you need to forgive as you've been forgiven. What do you do at that point? It's a good question, isn't it? You see, I, I see people all the time as a pastor, unfortunately, this is just my job, that I will watch people make decisions repeatedly that do not line up with what God wants for their lives. And then usually it's, it's kind of just fun sometimes to watch someone go and, and try to talk to them about it. And, and we get all kinds of answers. I'll see the craziest things. because Some people will say, oh, oh well, you know, it's, it's just not that big a deal. Or, well, you don't need to worry about it. Or, well, sometimes they'll just, I don't care. I've heard that a lot of times. People say, I just don't care. If God really loves me, he won't care either. But then they will go to this one. I'm forgiven. It's okay. I'm forgiven. Pastor, doesn't the Bible say I'm forgiven for what I've done yesterday, today, and tomorrow? So it's okay. I'm forgiven. And I think you're forgiven by the grace of God. How does part of God's nature give you permission to trample the other part of God's nature, which is truth. How about the second question? How do I respond to the grace of God? Some of us, we do better with truth than we do with grace. Here's the question. Is, is, do you still feel condemned? Or do you feel like the one who embodies steadfast love looks down at you and smiles. I mean, think about it. When you get up in the morning and you fall out of bed or you roll out of bed or whatever it is, if you haven't had your coffee and you look toward heaven, do you look toward heaven and just go, thank you, God, that you love me? Are you able to do that? Are you able to receive the grace of God? Are you able to recognize that it, it doesn't matter what you have done wrong because while we were his enemies, he died for us. 
His grace is based out of his love, not your action. Are you able to receive that grace? Because your ability to receive it will determine your ability to give it. When I find somebody who is really good at truth and really bad at grace, I know it's because they're not good at receiving grace. They feel condemned themselves about where they've done some things right, where they've done some things wrong. They feel proud about the things they've gotten right. And they're real good at telling everyone else in the world what they're doing right or wrong. And you know how I know that? Because I just described me. I'm real good at rules. I'm real good at right and wrong. I'm real good at breaking rules and getting away with it. And I'm real good at the rules I follow and being proud about it. But I have a hard time believing that God loves me when I'm not perfect. And it was the biggest struggle for most of my life to embrace grace, to realize that when I have just done something wrong, I can go to God and say, forgive me. Maybe it had something to do with becoming a father. And anybody who ever knows, uh, you've heard me talk about my little girl. Little girls just do something to dads, especially when they're last in line. Three boys and then finally a little girl. And uh, it, it's kind of like she can do no wrong. And even if she does, she still gets a hug. It doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> and that's how God feels about you. There is still a right and a wrong, but his love is amazing. Third question. Last question. Would others say that grace and truth comes through me to them? And you know why that question matters? Because Jesus had grace and truth come through him to us. And if we're his follower, then people should get from us what we got from him. When Jesus comes to you and me through grace and truth, we should go to everyone else with grace and truth. Would your employees, would your coworkers, would your family, would your spouse, would they say that you bring grace and truth? And if not, well, then at least now you know what to work on. So let me show you how these two go together. Just two passages, and we'll read real quickly back to back here. Because some of us are real good at memorizing just one of these, but they go together. James 1 says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And we think, yes. So let me go. Oh, you, you, you used to come to church. Hey, why aren't you coming to church anymore? Hey, you used to say you were a Christian. Hey, why are you doing that? Hey, I saw you in church Sunday. Why are you doing that? We think we're bringing them back because they have wandered from the truth. Let me tell you, in my experience, I've never yet found one person who didn't know they had wandered from the truth. I have never once in all my years as a friend, as a pastor, as a anything, said something to someone and they went, really? I did not know that was wrong. Never once. Bringing someone back when they've wandered from the truth usually does not mean telling them the truth they already know. It means giving them grace. It means loving them. Loving them and loving them. On the other side of the coin, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Did you catch that? In order to become more like Christ, you actually have to speak the truth. You do have to speak the truth in love, but you actually have to speak the truth. These two have to go together. We have to speak the truth, but we have to do it with a heart for the other person. Truth spoken without love can only be done if you have no regard for the other person. Our world today has created something we didn't have a little over 10 years ago. You guys know where I'm about to go with this. 
But in the last 10 years, we have created a medium where we can speak truth without grace and feel good about it because we don't have to do it to their face. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because <laughs> y'all know those people. You got your voice looking at your Facebook feed. You're looking at somebody's just going, well, you know, there are just some people in the world. And then they just go off on you. You know it's you. And you know, say it to my face. But they won't because they know they don't have grace. But as long as they leave it anonymous, well, it's just some people in the world. And when you call, is that about me? Oh, of course not. I'm going to move on because some of you just got offended. <laughs> so here's my challenge for us this week. Three questions. The whole reason for this series, because of Jesus, our lives should be different. I want to ask you to take one of those three questions. Would you guys put those questions back up for us? I want to ask you to take one of those three questions. The one that has the most uncomfortable answer for you. And I want you to work on it this week. You know, that means you you maybe need to change your lifestyle to embrace a truth that you've been wanting to do without It may mean that you're going to have to reject the lie that God doesn't love you. You might need someone to pray with you and help you with that. It may mean that you need to give more grace to a person who believes something very, very different from you. It may mean that we must live in grace and truth, not one or the other. If you have never made Jesus your king, if you have never embraced him as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that he is the perfect embodiment of grace and truth. See, here's the truth. Our God is perfect. He's perfectly holy. And well, you and I are not. And you and I We'll never be able to be good enough in anything we do to be holy. We will never do enough good to erase our sinful nature that allows us to walk into God's presence. That's the truth. But because that is true and God loves us, here's his grace, is that he sent his son to die for us to pay the penalty for our sin nature The Bible tells us that we are then clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And that's a big church word. The righteousness simply means the right with God. So it means that we are clothed with the right with Godness when Jesus becomes our King. Grace and truth coming together. If you have never made Jesus your King, if you have never brought grace and truth together in your life today, I want to help you do that right here, right now but I'm not going to embarrass you and you don't have to stand up or come down front right where you're seated. I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all join me and pray right where you're seated? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you. I thank you for grace And I thank you for truth. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Yeah.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.